Well, good morning. Please take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Uh, a while back, we studied the first five verses of chapter 2. So we're turning ahead to verses 6 through 16 of chapter 2. But let me remind you of what Paul has been saying. Back in chapter 1, in verses 18 through 25, Paul explained that the message of the church, the good news about Jesus Christ, will always be considered foolish uh, by the world. And then in verses 26 through 31 of chapter 1, Paul says that the members of the church, those who embrace this message about Jesus Christ and him crucified, are also deemed to be weak and foolish by worldly standards. And then in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul talks about the ministry of the church falling short of the expectations of this world. So the message of the church, the members of the church, and the ministry of the church are deemed weak and foolish by worldly standards. And yet, all of that besides, nevertheless, it is by the message of the gospel proclaimed by an unimpressive ministry that weak uh, believers are being saved. And that raises the question, how does that work? How, how does God bring that about? How is it that through the seemingly weak and foolish message of Christ and him crucified, and through an unimpressive ministry proclaiming that message, that weak and foolish sinners are being saved? Well, the Apostle Paul is going to explain that to us in our passage today in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Let's pray together before we read it. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. And we are reminded in this portion of your word that we need you to know you. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit to understand spiritual truths. And so we ask for your help. We ask for the spirit of illumination to give us understanding that we might see your glory shining in the face of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Let's hear God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. Who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You remember back in chapter 1, Paul wanted to change our expectations. He helped us to understand that the wisdom of God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ will always be considered foolish by the world. And Paul explained how that works. People evaluate and judge and assess the wisdom of God in the gospel on the the basis of what they expect or deem to be possible or reasonable or rational or intelligent. And Paul says this this is what's happening when the wisdom of God confronts the wisdom of this world. The world hears the good news of God coming down in Jesus Christ to save sinners by dying upon a cross and rising again from the dead. But evaluating that message on the basis of worldly wisdom, people conclude this is foolishness, this is utter absurdity, this is a complete waste of time. But Paul also dealt not only with our expectations in chapter 1, he also dealt with our thinking as Christians to clarify that just because the world considers the gospel to be folly does not mean that it is, in fact, foolish. Instead, the gospel of God, the good news, is, is in fact the wisdom of God made known in Jesus Christ. Paul makes that point in chapter 1, but he is restating it here in chapter 2 in verses 6 through 9. Now, this morning we're going to focus primarily on verses 10 through 16, but take a quick look at verse 6 with me, where Paul says that the gospel that the world rejects is, in fact, the wisdom we impart among the mature. Not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And so the wisdom of God, Paul is saying, does not jive with the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of this present age. And so those who are of this age and of this world reject it. That's what Paul is saying. And so that question comes up again, doesn't it? So how can anyone know God? 
How did the Corinthians come to know God? And, and how, how is there any hope for people like us who by default re- reject the wisdom of God and by nature are dismissers of the wisdom of God revealed in Jesus Christ? Well, verses 10 through 16 explain the answer to us. And Paul provides us, I think, with a threefold explanation. And so in verses 10 through 11, Paul speaks about revelation, the things of God disclosed. And then secondly, in verses 12 and 13, he speaks about inspiration, the things of God imparted in words taught by the Spirit. And then in verses 14 through 16, he'll speak about illumination, the things of God understood by the Spirit who gives us understanding. I like to think about it in terms of a, like a circuit that God completes. You have God revealing himself, as we'll see through the apostles, inspiring that word and revealing himself. And then as we receive that revelation, the Spirit illuminating that word to us, giving us understanding and faith so that we receive what God, the knowledge of God, which is meant to lead us to fellowship with God. I hope that circuit will be more clear as we work through this passage together. So let's think about these three things this morning. Revelation, inspiration, and illumination. Thinking first of all about Revelation. Look at verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, uh, quoting, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human heart has ever imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But but these are the very things that God has revealed to us by the Spirit. Now, this is a fundamental claim about the Christian gospel. It's not a message that is the product of man-made philosophy. It's it's not the product of extensive scientific investigation. It's not the best guess of the best creative imaginations. The gospel is a revealed truth. A truth revealed by God himself through the Holy Spirit... And through the creaturely agents of the apostles who were commissioned by God to communicate divine revelation. Now notice, to see the apostles' role in all of this, notice how at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul was speaking in the first person singular. He's talking about his early ministry in Corinth when he first came to them. And in verse 1, he speaks about when I, when I came to you, and in verse 2, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Verse 3, I was with you, and so on. It's all in the first person singular. But that changes when you get to verse 6, and Paul begins to speak in the second person plural. And so in verse 6, we read, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Verse 10, these things God has revealed to us. 
So he's not just talking about himself now. He's talking about himself in the company of the apostles to whom God the Holy Spirit has revealed the truth that Paul has been teaching and preaching. In other words, the the message of the gospel is not the invention of the apostles. It's not the invention of the church. It's not the invention of tradition. It is the message of God revealed by God the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And so the apostolic word about Jesus is the revealed word of God the Holy Spirit. And so what the apostles communicated, God the Holy Spirit was communicating through them to the church. And notice notice the analogy that Paul uses to help us understand how that works. He uses the analogy of a person's mind in verses 10 and 11 where he writes, the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of a person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. You know, you can't can't know a person's mind. You can't know what I am thinking. I can't know what you are thinking at any given time unless we disclose our minds, unless we reveal our minds to another. And Paul is saying in an analogous way, that's true of God too. Only the spirit of God searches out the deep things of God. Only the spirit of God, who is God himself, can reveal and disclose the mind of God to creatures. And so Paul says in verse 12 that the apostles have received the spirit so that they might understand the things freely given by or the things freely revealed by God. Okay, so this is the first, this is the first thing when it comes to how are, how are weak and foolish sinners ever going to come to a saving knowledge of God? Well, it begins with this idea of revelation. It's vitally important. In contrast to the world, because the the world believes that it can come to know God or whether there even is a God without God. Man thinks that by his own reasoning capacities, his own intelligence, his own ability to think it out and think it through, he can decide whether God exists what God is like, what God might do, what God wouldn't do, what God is capable of. But Christianity says, no, no, if you want to know God, you need to hear from God. God must reveal himself to us. There must be a disclosing, an unveiling of God's own mind. In other words, we need revelation from God to know God. And the apostles, along with the prophets of old, were men who were uniquely commissioned and appointed by God to share what was revealed to them by the Holy Spirit who had been given to them. Okay, so that's, that's revelation. Now, in verses 12 through 13, after talking about revelation given by the Spirit 
to the apostles, Paul has something to say here about the idea of inspiration. First, just to set this up, look at verse 12. Now we, the we being the apostles, now we the apostles have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Okay, so the apostles have been given the spirit who has revealed to them the meaning and significance of the life and death and resurrection and reign of Jesus Christ. Then verse 13, these things the apostles now impart in words. Now just, if we, if we stop there, if that's all that the verse said, we might run into trouble. We might make a mistake, actually a mistake that I think some Christians in the contemporary church uh, are making. We might be led to think that the way inspiration works is that God, the Holy Spirit, revealed certain ideas to the minds of the apostles and then basically left it up to the apostles to work out the best way of communicating those ideas to others. And, and so that means that uh, the Holy Spirit impressed certain ideas upon the minds of these individuals and, and what we have in their written words are their best fallible attempts to make sense of the things the Spirit communicated to them. And that means that there really isn't anything unique or um, special about the apostolic writings. Um, they are mainly then only of historical interest because of their close proximity to Christ and early Christianity. But these aren't words that we necessarily need to meditate upon or that we are obligated to obey or follow in our lives per se. Instead, the, the best that we can do is to try to imitate the apostles. Because like the apostles, the thinking goes that we also receive personal divine communication from the Spirit. And then we have to do our best to make sense of those ideas that are being communicated to us and try to faithfully communicate them to others. Now, that all sounds very nice, doesn't it? It sounds very spiritual. But what does it leave you with? Well, it leaves you with a Bible that you cannot trust and the opinions of people who, whose ideas are simply stamped with the alleged seal of the Spirit. But come back, come back to God's word. Come back to verse 13 because Paul carefully qualifies where his words actually originate. He's not merely saying the spirit revealed to us apostles certain ideas and we did our best to faithfully communicate those ideas in our own words. Look at what he actually says. He says, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit. So the words themselves, Paul is saying, the words themselves are words taught by the Spirit. Now this ought to thrill us, I think, 
if we come to terms with what Paul is saying, if we really take it in, I think it will lead us to love God's word when we understand what in fact it is. It is the teaching of the spirit of Christ to the church. But you know, a lot of Christians today think that they need to receive some kind of special communication, some personalized uh, communication from the Holy Spirit today. Some fresh word is needed in order to faithfully live out the Christian life. And so they go looking for some kind of experience apart from the scriptures in order to hear God speak to them. But you see what Paul is saying, if we will but open up our Bibles the very words on the pages of Holy Scripture are the objective, inspired revelation of God to us. It is God himself speaking to us. The teaching of Scripture is the teaching of the Spirit. The, the, the apostolic word is the very word of the risen Christ given to us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I think when we take that in, when we come to terms with that amazing reality, it really is thrilling, isn't it? And then notice the last part of verse 13. That the words of the apostles are words taught by the Spirit as the apostles interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, if you're reading in the ESV, then you'll notice that down at the bottom, there's a footnote giving you a couple of options for how this phrase could be translated. A very wooden, literal translation of this verse would say something like, we explain spiritual things with spiritual things. But that might leave you scratching your head saying, well, still, I'm not quite sure what Paul is saying. I think this is what Paul is getting at. He's saying something like the Spirit of God taught us, the apostles, the words to communicate the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we do it, uh, we do that by making use of the spirit-given vocabulary to make uh, known spirit-given realities. And, and so what does that mean for us? What's the practical consequence of that for us? Well, one thing it means is we can trust our Bibles, Scripture says what God says, and it says it the way God wants to say it. That's why, incidentally, we often preface the reading of Scripture with with comments like, uh, this is God's word, or let's give our attention to the reading and hearing of God's word. It's not just an empty ritual that we go through. It's a reminder to all of us that we need to to pay attention because we're about to hear the very words of God himself. Um, Think about how Jesus spoke about the Old Testament scriptures. How did he describe them? He described the words of the Old Testament as the mouth of God because all of scripture is the breathed out word of God revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. And it's not just that, it's also a living and active word. The Bible is not a dead letter book. There is no book like the Bible. The Bible is living and powerful in such a way that when we 
we come into the hearing of Scripture, God himself is presently speaking to and addressing us. God is communicating. He's disclosing himself to us. It's always fascinated me how the author of Hebrews, as he's writing to his own audience, can quote an Old Testament psalm and say, God is saying this to us in the present tense. God is presently addressing us in these words of the Old Testament. And so in every age, in the words of of Holy Scripture, God is presently speaking to and addressing his covenant people. But my friends, many many people today, I I don't think read or hear the Bible that way. So instead they go, looking for another word from God. They, they want to hear God speak, which is a good thing. But they don't go to the one place where God himself says he is speaking. Instead, they, they maybe turn inward and confuse their own convictions or conscience with the word of God. But you see, dear brothers and sisters, we do not have to go searching if we want to hear God speak to us. It's not as though God is elusive. It's not as though we have to turn inward and concentrate really hard and pray really hard with the hopes that God might decide today to speak to us. He already is speaking to us. He has a word to say to us And they are the very words of scripture, his personal communication to us. And just incidentally, as another consequence of this, that's that's why we preach the way that we do at Trinity. It's why we're committed to what we call expository preaching. Preaching that seeks to explain the meaning of God's word and apply it to people's hearts and lives. Because I understand that you don't, you don't need Jared's words. You don't need Pastor Dave's words. You don't need the words of another man. Uh, you don't need a news briefing for the week. You don't need my political opinions. You don't need the, the thoughts of Pastor Jared for the week. What you and I so desperately need is a word from God. We need to hear God speak. We need his truth proclaimed into and applied to our lives. And so this is why we're committed to this. We need God's word simply, clearly, systematically explained and applied to our hearts and lives. And so revelation, the things of God disclosed. Inspiration, the things of God imparted in words taught by the Spirit. And then thirdly and finally, Illumination, the things of God understood by the Spirit who gives us understanding. You see that circuit I talked about at the beginning? God revealing himself through revelation, by the Spirit, through the apostles. But but how then are we who receive this revelation, come within the realm of its hearing, going to understand and embrace it? You see, remember, The problem Paul has already identified in chapter 1. 
It's the problem of how people respond to the wisdom of God, the revelation of God. They, they reject it outright. They deem it to be foolish. They hear it, but don't understand it. Well, Paul sums up that problem in verse 14. Take a look at it where he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so for anyone to understand and embrace the inspired revelation of God, God must overcome our resistance and give us understanding of his truth. He must, if you like, turn on the lights so that we're able to see and understand the truth of God for what it really is, the wisdom of God made known in Jesus Christ. Here's, a, here's an illustration of, I think, what Paul is saying here in verse 14. Many of us will know uh, the name William Wilberforce, a great uh, advocate of the abolition of slavery. William Wilberforce had a friend by the name of William Pitt, who was actually the, uh, the prime minister of Great Britain at the time. And for a long time, William Wilberforce was trying to convince William Pitt to go to church with him, to hear God's word, to sit under the ministry of, of God's word. And after weeks of effort, he finally convinced his friend to go along with him. So this Sunday, they went to church to hear a well-known and respected pastor preach. Uh, his name was Richard Cecil. And Richard Cecil preached that particular Sunday on well, the glory of the believer's adoption in Christ, what it means to be a child of God, the privileges of sonship. And all the while, William Wilberforce is just reveling in this glorious gospel truth, rejoicing in his heart what it means to be a child of God. As they're making their way out of the church, uh, he's, he's anxious to know, you know, what's my friend thinking? How's, how's he responding in his heart to the ministry of God's word? Well, Wilberforce didn't have to wait very long because on the way out, William Pitt turned to him and said, I didn't, I didn't understand a word that man said. What was he going on about? Now, that raises a question, I think. How do you account for that? Right? Two men... Don't make the mistake of thinking this is just some kind of intellectual difference between the two, because it wasn't. Two men are sitting in the same pew, listening to the same message. One is rejoicing in what he's hearing, and the other can't make heads or tails of it. How do we account for that? Well, Paul accounts for it in verse 14, doesn't he? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. And he can't understand them for they are spiritually discerned. See, that was the great difference between the two Williams. And may I say, it's the difference between some of you listening right now. That for some of you, you were once in darkness. You considered the gospel of Jesus Christ to be totally idiotic, moronic, a total waste of time, complete foolishness. But you've been brought into the light. 
The Holy Spirit has turned the light on. And through the reading and the sharing and the preaching of this very word, the Holy Spirit brought you to the truth. To see yourself. To see your sin. To see your need. And to see the Savior, Jesus, who he is and what he's done. And the Holy Spirit made you willing and able to believe and embrace him as he offers himself to you in the gospel. And now this word to you, it is, it is food to your soul. Uh, it is a light into your path, sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb, more valuable to you than gold and silver. But for some of you, as you hear this same word, it continues to sound like total nonsense, uh, moronic, foolish, just a complete waste of time, so irrelevant, so insignificant, so unimportant to your life. Now, why is that? Well, Paul's answer is because you are still a natural person. What he means by that, the natural person resists receiving the knowledge of God. The natural person is confident in their own opinions, their own reason, their own wisdom. And you can't change that about yourself. It's who you are. <laughs> but the good news of the gospel is God can change you. God can turn the lights on. God can illumine your darkened mind. He can remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that is willing and able to believe. And so if, if, if you're hearing this and you're feeling a lot like William Pitt, well, please understand, it's, it's not that you need more information per se. It's not that you need better arguments. It's not that you need to listen to a more dynamic speaker, though that might be nice. It's that you need the Holy Spirit to break into your life through the ministry of the gospel and take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and turn the lights on and open your eyes to see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. You need the light of life. And what about those who are, are spiritual? Those who are born of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. What is it that they have? Well, I think Paul is anticipating an objection at the end of this passage here in verse 16, where he asks this question, who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? I mean, surely you're not suggesting Paul that, the, that by the Holy Spirit, you know, you've become the master of all truth. Of, of course not. And yet, look at what Paul says. He says, we have the mind of Christ. That's what we have in the scriptures and in union with Jesus Christ. We have the mind of Christ. God, the Spirit, enlightening our understanding guiding our steps so that as he can say in verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things. 
We find our, our way under the guidance and direction of God by the ministry of his word. The mind of Christ is ours, no longer stumbling and fumbling around in the dark, for now by grace we see. And yet for all the wonders of scripture, you see, until the Holy Spirit gives a person the light of understanding, so you will never see And if that's where you are, what what should you do? A few things. Cry out to God for understanding. Acknowledge your pride and unbelief. Confess your resistance to the knowledge of God. Pray that he would make you a new creation. Bring you, draw you to Jesus Christ, the wisdom of God. Pray that he by the Holy Spirit would Turn on the lights and illumine the dark room of your mind to behold the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ. And so you see these three things here. The circuit, God disclosing himself, revelation, the things of God disclosed. Inspiration, the things of God imparted in words taught by the Holy Spirit through the prophets and apostles but then how are we as recipients of that revelation as those who by default reject the revelation of God how are we going to become those who receive it and embrace it illumination illumination the things of God understood by the spirit who gives us understanding and as we are brought to understanding and faith in Jesus Christ. You see revelation, inspiration, and illumination completes the circuit because the goal of God's revelation is to lead us back to himself, back to fellowship with the God who made us and who redeems us by his son. And so this is how God brings foolish, weak sinners to a saving knowledge of God. He brings weak and foolish sinners to a saving knowledge of the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ through revelation, inspiration, and illumination. He reveals himself in his son and he renews our minds and hearts by the spirit so that we receive and embrace this good news so that we receive and embrace Christ himself. Revelation, inspiration, and illumination. May the Lord make us a people here at Trinity who receive this word for what it truly is. The self-disclosure of a good and gracious God. A word inspired by God the Holy Spirit himself and illumined by that same spirit that we might know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we pray that you would open the minds of our hearts to understand your revelation to us, that we might know you through your Son, by the Holy Spirit. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.